Hello, everybody. Just a very quick one about Instagram. If you're on it, Meta, the parent company, is reducing the number of political posts visible to users on their feed. This is a real thing, not a hoax. So go to your Instagram profile, tap the three horizontal lines in the top right corner to open the settings tab, scroll down to what you see, click on content preferences, open political content, and turn on don't limit political content. That's an option. Otherwise, you won't see almost anything we post because we are deemed political. Please do that now or you won't even see the posts about our shows, our fun things. So if you want to see Guilty Feminist content and know when we're coming to a place near you, releasing a new podcast, do it now. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm a feminist, but backstage there was a women's magazine, and I never read them, but I thought... I'll just have a flick through it. And I made myself feel bad within 25 seconds by seeing Lady Gaga just shared a makeup-free selfie from her bed and she looks incredible. And I thought, I don't. <laughs> I would never share a makeup-free selfie in a fucking million years. But if I did, it wouldn't be my, from my fucking bed. And if I did, it wouldn't look like that. I looked at her, she looked fucking perfect. She did not, she was not makeup-free. That was a big, big big lie. And within 25 seconds, I'd hated Lady Gaga and myself. And I love Lady Gaga, but this is this kind of self-loathing it promotes. Underneath that, underneath the Lady Gaga, it said hashtag skin goals. Oh, fuck off. I don't even... <laughs> hashtag sports goals. I don't even have hashtag skin goals. And then it said skinspiration. Never even heard of it. Never even heard of it. Under oh that, God. under that, it said best cowboy boots to nail the Western core trend. I didn't even know there was a Western core trend. Did does anyone else know about the Western core trend? What's the word? Some people are saying middle? yes. Don't say yes. You've made me feel bad. What's the word in the middle? Core. Core, trend. like you know, like cottage core or norm core or something like that. Oh. Apparently, there's a Western core trend, and we've all got to look like cowboy girls now, um, which are really just cowgirls. Um, and then. I'm raveled. I'd hated Lady Gaga. I've never hated Lady Gaga before, but they showed me a photo that forced my hand. And then it was Western thing. And then it said, J-Lo gives Jenny from the block vibes in Thonkini. And I genuinely thought, what's that? And then I saw it and went, I can't wear that ever. Dave, I'm sorry it's made you sad, but you know how I feel about fashion. Yeah. Um, well, no. Well, yeah, well, I sort of, I sort of do. Strong but... feelings about why would anybody go to fashion? Why would you? I, even if you're, I know you, start, and you included, are like interested in designers and stuff like that. I sort of understand that. Why bother though? When if you stand still for long enough, fashion will come to you. <laughs> a couple of years ago, dungarees got fashionable. Already had a bon. Um, <laughs> currently very fashionable, which I am loving for me. Great big fat ass. 
People are paying thousands of pounds getting bits of their body sucked out of oh. them and s- s- pumped back in. You the could... Oh. I was born with it, baby. Um, and I used I it for cannot. feminist reasons. The other day my son crept up behind me to give me a big roundhouse kick up the butt. It's the sort of fun we have. Um, I sensed him coming, tensed my bum bum. Long story short, really hurt his foot. Um, anyway, you have... Um, accidentally your not your sadness has brought me joy but your story has because by pure accident and having no idea it was fashionable i've recently acquired my first pair of cowboy boots <gasps> yeah of course i nearly wore them tonight so does that make me a western skin- core foster um, cue um, i'm a western core and probably that makes me a skin inspiration influencer yes yes your skin is glowing but i'll tell you I'm what i'm confident they're vegan boots could you please <laughs> Could you please post a picture of you just in those boots in your bed? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> you don't have to show yeah. anything else. Just the just you could show the boots. Covered in covers. Little yeah. bit of boot sticking out. Yeah, something like that. Okay, yeah. I would love that. With no makeup. And it's a selfie. Yeah. On the bed. Um, I'm a feminist, but out loud recently, alone, yeah. I... Um, you right. It's... It's never a bad time to have a Tic Tac. <laughs> Actually, I reckon I misheard that and it was a smint. Was it? I fucking knew it! I can hear a smint. Wow. I can, if anyone else has got a confection they want to shake and I can guess what it is. That's so my new Shake and guess. This I'm is a, a feminist st- bar out loud recently. I was at home, thank God. I dropped something and I went, oopsie diddly. It's, it's not a feminist curse, is it? I don't deserve to ever get laid again. <laughs> not just, oops, oopsie diddly. Yeah. yeah. Who am it, I? That undermines your feminist credentials you. altogether. Oh, you've got a child, though. You can't just say great big fuck cunt, can you? I sort of often do, actually. Yeah, okay. um, I'm a feminist, but at the moment, I'm a playwright as well. Mm. And that's very exciting. I'm rehearsing a play that's going to be on at Chichester that you'll all come to because we're friends now. It'd be weird if you didn't. Um, and uh, the other day, I was having such a nice time. Right? It's, it's really intense doing a play, but I just love it so much. And I've just got amazing cast and really wonderful director and just very brilliant supportive team and everything. And it's really, really, t- you know, you're doing rewrites and you're cutting things and, you know. But I actually said to someone, I think I'd have been really happy being miserable and unfaithful on Broadway in the 1970s. Just like really miserable. You know how all of those playwrights like Neil Simon and Edward Albee and, and Arthur Miller were miserable and unfaithful and they had this, they were all having massive affairs, unprotected sex in every direction, all had this massive existential angst. They were doing plays, they were part of a community, they get really upset, they got a bad review and I just thought, oh, I would have loved being miserable in the 70s on Broadway. I just had a real thing and I said it out loud and the person I was with said, you've only named male playwrights. And I was like, well, I mean, it's not my fault Broadway forgot to make any women famous in the 1970s. And if I had said Wendy Wasserstein, would you have known who I meant? You've just made that name up. No. Wasser. Wasserstein. Okay. Wendy Wasserstein. Would anyone have known who she was? Exactly. Because they forgot to make any women famous and the ones that were famous at the time, they forgot to continue the fame. That is not my fault. Fair play. <laughs> I'm a feminist, but earlier to procrastinate from writing my I'm a feminist butts. Um, instead of doing something cool like reading or knocking one out, 
Um, I deep cleaned my kitchen, including refilling and reorganising all the different pulses and legumes in my kilner jars. Nice. One clap. Nice. <laughs> no, oh. don't. I, one must never ask. One I'm must a... be offered. But may I say, if you are going to offer, you can't just offer one. I'm a feminist, but I wasn't going to tell you this, but someone wanted to give me a present. No, no, you're right. You're right. That's poor. I'm a feminist, but someone offered to, my well, family member offered to give me a present and they said, what would you like? And I said, I'd like two hours with the tidy fairy. <laughs> Here we go. I can't believe I'm telling you this. It's really not down here, but it's just reminded me of that. And I just got to, I feel I need to confess it. So the tidy fairy is a person who comes around to your house and she shows you how to be tidy. It, well, and Deborah's paid a cleaner who's allowed to touch her stuff. <laughs> no, she's more like, um, uh, it's more like, you know, when you're a teenager and your mum would tidy your room and say, now it's tidy, can you keep that like that and keep like that and no shoes on the bed? Just like that. It's like being allowed to be a teenager again and have a mum come and help you tidy it. Yeah. But she says, she says things like, we should get baskets for this and then she gets baskets and then she puts all the different cosmetics in the basket and then I'm meant to keep the right ones in the right basket now. Yeah. But that was my present to myself. I, I was asked, what would you like for a present? And I said, two hours with the tidy fairy. Lovely. No one th- seems to think that's unfeminist, so I'm going to do another one. Um, <laughs> people, seem, people are writing down the name of the tidy fairy and saying, <laughs> I also want that service. Um, tell me okay. where to put a basket. I'm... Listen, I, I want less chaos. I want to wake up and know we where everything want is. want less chaos. I, want, I don't want clutter. I want to know where things are. I, yeah. want, I don't want my bra to be on the floor under a T-shirt. I want my bra to be in the bra drawer. And you I want can... there to be a bra drawer. Is that too much to ask? I'm a grown-up. I should have... have not a... got a bra drawer? Well, I, I have, but the bras are all end up mixed up in the You've socks drawer. The yeah, yeah, they're just in the socks drawer or in the oh. T-shirt drawer or something. And I really want the bra drawer to just be the bra drawer. And yeah. I'm, at, I'm at a point in my life where I think that should be a thing. It's true. I feel really strongly about I, it. I, even in my bra drawer, there are also uh, goggles. <laughs> what? I found everybody in my family swimming goggles in my bra drawer today. I can see know. why they you would have... a number for your fairy. I can see why that could have got mixed up, though. Goggles do look like bras. <laughs> Just eyebrows, aren't they, really? Oh, yeah. Bras for the eyes. That's what they are. Underwater eyebrows. Underwater eyebrows. I get it. Or, or a bras out of water day goggles. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. They're just basically tit goggles, aren't they? Yeah. That's it. And actually, the the direction of my tits, that could be quite useful, actually. (laughs) Sort of an elasticated harness around the back of the head. Yeah. To tick goggles. Sort of try and bring them back up to a normal, respectable height. Yeah, I see that. Um, I'm a feminist, but I'm thrilled at just how many strangers are contacting me to let me know that the first episode of Good Omens has a naked John Hamm in it. I have had hundreds of messages, literally hundreds of messages going, did you know John Hamm is naked in Good Omens? But the trouble is... It's not sexy naked. He's like a spirit or a demon or an angel or something. I don't know. I mean, I've watched it and I still don't really know what he is. He's like an angel. Is he an angel or something? Thank you. He's an angel. He's, oh, the angel Gabriel. That's right. And, and 
he doesn't know he's naked. So he's walking down the street, not knowing he's naked. Everyone's staring at him. And then God, he comes now in. that is some seriously good acting. <laughs> he doesn't know he's naked. I don't but know, he's... like, even on my best day as an actor, if I could walk around naked in the opening scene of something as a character who didn't know they were naked. Yeah, but he really sells it, that he doesn't know anything's wrong or anything's weird. And he's just sort of, you know, otherworldly. And it's not like Don Draper being naked, because Don Draper couldn't be naked because AMC wouldn't allow it, sadly. <laughs> Correctly. Um, whatever, I don't know. I don't see why he couldn't have been naked. Yeah. No, he should have been naked all the time. But to be fair, I really enjoy... My porn is a man in a really well-cut suit. That's yeah. my love of Mad Men. Yeah. Don't really want to see naked men all of the time. But I think a little bit of naked Don Draper would have been nice. Yeah. But not as Angel Gabriel. He's just he's just not sexy. Is it not doing it for you as Angel not Gabriel? Not at all. I could not possibly get there on that. No. I couldn't get anywhere close I've to it. I paid a note to give it a watch. Um, yeah. I'll let you will, you know it'll give you it nothing. Goes. It'll give you absolutely nothing. There'll be no frequency whatsoever. I'll give you an out of ten in terms of reaction. Intellectual, emotional, gusset. <laughs> um, I'm an, a feminist, but... Yeah. I, have, in the last few years, have, I've, really, I've been a really confident driver. Like, I started driving when I was 17. I like driving. And in the last few years, I've become such a scaredy-cat, anxious driver, that I just went on holiday to France, and I was the designated car hirer and driver... I got so scared every time a car came in the opposite direction at the perfectly legal limit, very much on their side of the road, that over half the time, just for safety, I came to a complete, complete stop. (laughs) I do that. I fully do that. Just a complete stop. And it became like the running joke of the holiday. Oh, I fully do that. Can't be too careful, Jess. Whoa, slow down. Sometimes even just a pedestrian, I'd be like... Better safe than sorry. This is I. This is why I don't. Could trip I barely drive ever anymore for that reason. I am. Oh, I just get so nervous. I nearly killed a whole carload of full of comedians going to Latitude. <gasps> I pulled over onto the hard shoulder, and someone I, we had to just go into a service station and had to put, had to ring up the insurance company and put someone else on because no no one would drive the rest of the way with me, Amazing. and I didn't blame any of them. Yeah, <laughs> I did nearly kill like some pretty important comedians on yeah. the scene. It would have been a loss. Live from the Soho Theatre in London, the Spontaneity Shop presents The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis White, guest co-host Jessica Fosterview, and our very special guest, Lou Sanders, talking about self-forgiveness. Hello, 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 it's Friday night. Are you ready for some feminism? other so-called feminists who are sitting in the pub. We're out doing feminism at nine o'clock on a Friday night. That's right, baby. We are always fighting that patriarchy. Even when we've got a drink in our hand, it looks like we're having a nice time on a Friday night, but no, we're doing feminism. Right here. You've got a pint, and I bet it's not the first pint you've had this evening, is it? You've been drinking since midday. You're on a hot... It's all right. I was on a cute... I wasn't... I'm not judging, but I feel you are. You're doing a bit of self-judging there. Yeah. So, so you're on holidays. What do you, when you say you're on holidays, uh, are you from London? Are you having a staycation? No, where are you from? I'm just going to give you the mic, actually. Um, what's your name? 
Gary. Gary. Oh, so, Gary, yes. this is really early for audience interaction, but you started it. Yeah, sorry. I, d- I, did, I, did, I, I did. I normally do a little bit more first, and then I sort of gently go in. Yep. But, Gary, and I don't want to assume your gender, are you a man? Yes. Yes. Gary sat in the front row, he's made direct eye contact, and he's started a conversation. I did. Now, this is normally an unapologetically female space, but <laughs> Gary has seen a taboo and he's broken it. And Gary, you're very, very welcome. Yeah. Um, so, uh, where are you from? Um, Newcastle. Newcastle? Yes. And you've come down to London for a holiday? Yes. Well, you look like you've made a mistake. But I, but no, 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 but, come on holidays by mistake. But I, but I live in France now. You live in France now? Yes. Okay, all right. So you, you moved from Newcastle to France? Yes. Which is an upgrade, yes. if you don't mind yes, me saying. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. I mean, right. I love Newcastle, Very frankly. Sure. Yeah. I love Newcastle. I just yeah. think generally that's considered... It, it depends is. on the part of France, to be fair. I think, I think Newcastle's fantastic. Yeah. It's one of my favourite places to play. Yeah. It's always a revolution of a show in Newcastle. I've heard. Yeah. It, no, it really is. It yeah. really is. Because when you play London, and listen, you're all wonderful, don't get me wrong, but Londoners do expect a lot of shows. There's Londoners like, yeah, you know, if you want to see something, you just think, well, I'll fall out of bed onto it. That is the way London is. Every show in the world comes to London, is in London at some point. You might be in New York think, oh, I'd love to see the show, but it'll come to London. That's what you think. But if you're from Newcastle and someone comes to you, you go ballistic. Special. Yeah, you're like, you came, is the first, yeah. And they're very feminist up there as well. A lot of revolutions. Yeah. Yeah, just generally. That's the feeling in the air. Um, you moved to France. France. There's a lot of, but there's a lot of revolutions in France. They're famous for it. They are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they get They're that guillotine out at any opportunity. <laughs> seriously, I mean, we have had all of our protesting rights taken away just in the night. And everyone's gone, ah, I don't like crowds. You know, like, <laughs> seriously. Seriously, it's really disturbing. Whereas the French, if the government so much as say... Instead of retiring at 52, you'll be retiring at 53. They're out on the street burning things. Yeah. That is off. correct, yeah. isn't it? I'm not wrong burning about that, am I? Burning buses and everything. What was that? Burning buses and everything. Burning buses, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah they're serious yeah. about it. They yeah. love a guillotine, though. They love a guillotine. <laughs> they're like, it's not about any, any opportunity. Um, so where in France do you live? Orléans. Orléans. Yes. Sounds like you speak French. Orleans. Like, or, like, yeah. 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 No, no, it's all right. You don't need to translate for us, Gary. We, we understand. In Newcastle, I have to do that. Do you have a Newcastle Novocastrian accent when you speak French? No, I. Oh God! Now go on, do a um, bit of French. So I I have an I have a good accent, but my grammar is not great, so I sound like a child or stupid or along those lines. You know, so here at the Guilty Feminists, we don't believe children are stupid. I didn't say that. We believe that children are our future. Treat them well and let them lead the way. That's what we think. We, but we agree with Whitney. Yeah. Same, That's all I'm same, saying. Same, yeah, same. okay. So you sound like a child who speaks French, whose parents are yeah. French and speaks French very well, native my, speaker, because your accent's so good. But your grammar... Good, yeah, but my grammar is not great. Okay, all right. Well, you need to work on that yes, because you need to be doing yeah. feminism in France because sometimes yes. we have feminists from France. They go, mm, it's yeah. not... The words there is still not taking traction and, you know... All of that. So uh, you need to be doing... Fe- are, you, are you a feminist, Gary? Would yes, you, I believe so. You, you believe so? I, I hope so. I, 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 Who I are like you with? I think so. My friend Olivia. Olivia, is Gary a feminist? He is. He's the reason I got into the Guilty Feminist show. Oh, my God! Gary! <laughs> you're bringing... You're converting women and... 
<laughs> You're like a disciple. I try. I you do make try. me feel like Jesus, Gary. I try. You make me feel like Gary, the best disciple. Andrew, Peter, James, and John. Gary. Gary. <laughs> um, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Well, listen, listen. By all means, feel free to write down everything I say tonight, and then later publish it yes. in a pamphlet as a sort of feminist gospel. I'll, I'll do that. I'll do yeah. That. Okay. I'll do Excellent. Big round of applause for Gary, everybody. Um, I've been asking a new question at the beginning of the show, and this new question is this. Who thinks they've got a feminist job? Give us a cheer. What? I know that my audience... You're, you're, you're being shy, because I know my audience is made up of three kinds of people. First, people who work in a directly feminist capacity or with refugees or illiteracy. Two, people who work in the NHS or some other saving the world environmental campaign capacity. Three, people doing PhDs about Virginia Woolf. <laughs> that is, and I swear, I've never had a show where I haven't had someone doing, it. just give us a cheer if you're doing a PhD at the moment. Well, this is the first. So <laughs> give us a cheer if you've got a PhD. Yay, there you go. This audience... They are so advanced, they finished their PhDs on Virginia Woolf. <laughs> what was your PhD on? Isotope, Isotope geochemistry, woman in STEM. Boom. Um, I run the PhD program. You run the PhD program? Thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. What PhD program do you run? Global health and social medicine. Global health and social medicine. I thank you. Do I know? Or do I know my audience? Uh, give us a cheer if you think you have an unfeminist job. Yes. Um, people more willing to admit that. People don't... I've, it's Britain. People don't like to brag. Um, but people are happy to be self-deprecating. Uh, what's your unfeminist job, can I ask? Lawyer? That is not necessarily unfeminist if you are doing secret Trojan horse feminism within that job. So for example, in the last show, there was a woman in the front row and she said, I do HR for an investment bank. And everyone went, ooh. And I mean, you know, she declared herself as a non-feminist job person. And I said, are you doing any Trojan horse feminism? She said, yes, of course. I took the job on to infiltrate the investment bank with feminism. <laughs> so I have, every single time there's someone in my show with an, feminist, with an unfeminist job, they're like... <laughs> Like, one woman basically said she was ripping this man off. Like, she was like, she was like, he has no idea what I make him spend money on. I mean, she wasn't, she wasn't embezzling, just to be clear, but she was just redirecting funds. Maybe she was. I don't know. Um, so, uh, uh, do, do you do any Trojan horse feminism? No. Okay. Um, not at this time, Your Honour. Is it that it's so secret, Trojan horse feminism, that you can't say? No feminism. Don't worry, after tonight... Is this your first time at The Guilty Feminist? It is. Okay, well, there you go. After tonight, you will leave here changed. We will corrupt you in a way that when you get back to your job as a lawyer, you will have a completely different motivation and goal and your purpose in life will shoot through the roof. Your employment opportunities will diminish. But... <laughs> You will be fired within six to eight weeks, but God, it'll feel good. Now, anybody else reckon they've got a less feminist job? Less feminist job? 
Less feminist job than lawyer. Yeah, who said mm? Who said mm? You do, it's, it's not bad talking to me. I'm a lot of fun. It's not like a normal comedian. I'm not going to shout at you for having a job. What do you do? You're a camera assistant? That's incredibly feminist. Do you know how much we need women in film? Why is camera assistant not a feminist job? Are you shooting? Well, are you shooting? Hold on. <laughs> do you mind, Gary, do you mind getting... You are, you are my helper now. Can you get the microphone back? What's your name? Uh, I'm, I'm Alice. Alice. Hello, Alice. Hello. Um, uh, so can you tell me uh, what's, what's unfeminist about being a camera operator? Um, I'm not an operator. I'm very much an assistant. But um, well, well, yeah, no, but, but what, what would a man say that he was? <laughs> if he t- so much as fucking touched a camera, if he could identify a camera <laughs> in a lineup of other technical equipment, <laughs> you go. I reckon I can operate that with the right YouTube video. Yeah. Would I call myself an operator? Yeah. Would anyone else? No. Is that relevant? Not at the moment. What? So, so you're an assistant to the operator. So yeah. what do you do? Do you pass the operator stuff? Do you get stuff? Do you do, do things that they all, tell you to do? All, all, of, all of that. All of the above. Yeah, is so the camera operator ever a woman? No. Never? Not in my experience. Not in your experience. You've never had a female camera operator, so you've got to be the first in your experience. I'm sure there are there. Of course yeah. there are probably yeah. many, but you haven't worked with them. Yeah. So you've got to be... You've got to, is, if the, that's what I'm you want to do... I'm the only woman in my department. You're the only so, woman in your department? Yeah. yeah. So why do you find it unfeminist? Because I feel your very representation is feminist. Well, it's sort of like, I feel like the, um, I let a lot of things slide in the department and you sort of feel like you have to become one of the lads in a sense. And I feel like that's not feminist because okay. you're in that group. So you let things slide, which you probably shouldn't, but you're the only one. I see, I see, I see. Mm. So you, how, do you mind if I ask how old you are? Uh, I'm 23. You're 23. And already, despite working in what sounds like quite a macho environment where mm. you have to kind of swallow quite a lot in order just to get through the day, you are internalising that and blaming yourself for not being a good enough feminist kind by of, not standing <laughs> up to 50-year-old men <laughs> who in your presence and in your company say derisive things. And you're thinking, why am I, the most junior person on this set, not able to somehow David and Goliath my way out of this situation <laughs> despite the fact I've not yet turned 24. That's what goes on inside the head of women. Oh, oh, it must be your fault. It must be your fault that these film sets are all run by cunts. (laughs) And you haven't decunted any of them yet. You haven't hoovered the country out of the patriarchy. Would be nice Before to. your 24th birthday, <laughs> while working in an entirely male-dominated environment by trying to change the representation levels. I mean, I don't know that you can call yourself a feminist at all. Get out. <laughs> I know. There's the door. It's been nice, a, We you. might be called the guilty feminist, but we've got standards. <laughs> Mate, you're doing amazingly well by just being there. Now, just being there. And we love you. you tell me just one example of something that you've had to let slide to see if we together can come up with a great comeback that will make you look good and uh, put you in a better position while also telling them, you know, how to fuck off. Oh precisely. I, I don't know. Not off the top of my head. Not but, off the top of your head. Okay. But yeah, I get, I get called um, a lot of darlings and sweethearts. 
oh. every every other minute. <laughs> okay, I've got a good one for that. I've got a new personal trainer. He's a touch Alan Partridge, but he's really making me stronger. <laughs> but I'm ge- I'm getting really good definition, so we're, we'll let it slide now. He's calling. He calls me darling a lot, but he is from Yorkshire, and I really do think it's a Yorkshire thing, not a sexist thing. But I, you're saying yes. Can you confirm that? Because it's Yorkshire. It is a Yorkshire thing, isn't it? I mean, it's always hard to tell, but he seems very sweet, and so. But I really hate it. So I thought, oh, I just came up the brain. I thought, how can I do this without making it seem like you know, without having a thing about it. So suddenly I came with this brainwave while I was lifting a kettlebell. And, you know, there's not enough oxygen going to your brain when you're doing that. And I shouldn't have approached it. What I said to him was, um, I said, I really, really enjoying personal training with you. I feel I'm really getting someone. I really like you. And just, it's just a thing that I had another personal trainer. This was my cover story. Oh, my God. I said, I had another personal trainer used to call me darling and sweetheart a lot. And I really didn't like him. And I really do like you. And it just reminds me of him. <laughs> so is there any chance you could call me Deborah or Deb? And his face, he went, oh, oh, sorry, sorry. Oh, no, no, I'm just from Yorkshire. And he just saw right through it. It was pathetic. He knew it was just embarrassing for everybody. So don't try that. Oh, sorry. I would just, I would just, you know what I do in that situation, in a work situation? I just call them schnookums. I've, I've started says, calling them all ladies. Do you call them ladies? I, I go up to them and I'm like, oh, excuse me, ladies. <laughs> they don't have like it. They, they, they look don't at me like weird. it. They yeah. look at me weird and they go like, what did you just call me? Excellent. It's very funny. You are already a horse made of feminism, made of Trojan, made of feminism. Um, uh, is, it, is it Kathy? Alice. Alice. I did a mnemonic in my head about a book I had as a child. It was a different book. <laughs> I had Kathy in Wonderland. Now, <laughs> big round of applause for Alice. Okay. Thank you very much. Uh, give us a cheer if you listen to the Guilty Feminists at home. Give us a cheer if you don't know what you're at. Okay, notice how those cheers are less feminist. Can you see that? They're just like, well, we're not in our power yet. Uh, so this is a feminist uh, podcast. It's being recorded live. If you don't know what a podcast is, it's radio that no one stops you making. That's why women do it. And uh, uh, you'll catch on as it goes. Um, but for right for now, are we ready to start the show? Yeah. Then please welcome to the stage my incredible co-pilot, my favourite and yours, it's the wonderful Jessica Foster Q. Lovely, absolutely yeah. lovely, but a late night fright. Bloody past my bedtime. They seem to be up for a bit of late night patriarchy smashing comedy. Yeah, yeah, they're strapped in. I will tell you that the seven o'clock audience were excellent. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Up and your I, game. Yeah, because up your game. Uh, no, no. The, the only reason I'm saying it is because of this. I think when people leave a comedy show, they always sort of go, "Oh, I liked that one. Oh, I liked that. Yeah, I wasn't sure about that one or whatever." But what you don't know is that comedians also judge audiences. <laughs> no, we do. We fully do. Like, this is a real thing. We go away and go, what do you think? Oh, they weren't as strong as the seven o'clock, but they were all right. No, they were pretty good. That's what we say. Yeah. We judge audiences around the country, don't we? Yeah. We go, oh, Portsmouth, that was a hen night of a show. Yeah. You know what I mean? And we you go, know. oh, Tunbridge Wells, never again. 
<laughs> we do. We genuinely do. I, so I'm not yeah. saying that to pit you against other feminists. I've got cursed places of you. Oh, yeah. Mine are all posh. Are they? Yeah. Harrogate. Fuck that. <laughs> Sorry, is fuck that a second place after yeah. Harrogate? Is it on the Harrogate village. line? <laughs> um, I, the, one of the worst gigs I've had in that on the world. years was in a really, like, really tiny, incredibly wealthy village called Thorner, um, not far from Leeds. It was... And we, so we got picked up from the station and they picked us up and the lady that picked me up had a, a Diamante steering wheel. <laughs> and then the cars that drove the comedians to the village, um, oh, all gosh. the different drivers would say that we are very proud in the village that we don't have street lighting. We're anti-street lighting. It's traditional. We don't need it. And we're like, oh, fuck it. And they all like, really, it's like, that's a big local issue, that is. That's yeah, because I would say street lighting is a very the feminist thing. are on fire. Yeah. Um, but you're ever so proud that actually we've argued again and again that we don't want lamps on in the night. Wim- you think, mm, great. Mm, I feel street lighting like is a feminist issue. I feel like street lighting is a feminist issue. Long story short, um, as we were driving into the venue, she drove into the back of another car. <laughs> Come on, fucking. Come the fuck on. Could have done with a little lamp on there, mate. Yeah. <laughs> something somewhere. <laughs> Yeah, useful. no, no, we do, we do. So this is not to pit you against the earlier audience in any it, way. It sort of was for comedy, but you took it seriously, so we're backtracking. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. At the seven o'clock audience, as much as they were great at laughing out loud, a couple of women there chatted all through it. Did you notice that? <laughs> it, I, just, I could sense you... I, it, yeah, thanks. <laughs> they might still be having a drink upstairs. Yeah, well, they've not come back because those seats are sold and they've not come back, so I don't yeah. know where they are. Um, I think they've gone across the road to have a chat and Bella Pasta. Um, more power to them. If that's where they wish to be, then it's a feminist act to be there. What is not a feminist act is to talk through a show. Now, no, no. but they've undone it no. with the feminist act of carb loading at 10pm. <laughs> yeah. I've got a lot of fucking love for This is The Guilty Feminist, the podcast in which we explore our noble goals as 21st century feminists and our hypocrisies and insecurities, which undermine them. I'm Deborah Francis-White. With me is Jessica foster and we are talking about self-forgiveness. Lovely bit of business. Bit of business, yeah. Uh, self-forgiveness. Now, we've got a very special guest on who's brought out a memoir that is really the most extraordinary, has the most extraordinary tales in it that I've ever heard. It's uh, one of my favourite comedians in the world. Favourite comedians in the world. We're, we're, we're trailing her hard. We decided that the best theme for this book was self-forgiveness, but she's also going to do a reading from it and she is also going to tell us some stories from it. I'm so excited. Uh, but before we do that, would you like to see some stand-up comedy? <laughs> Please welcome to the stage the incredible Jessica Foster Q. I've made a terrible mistake here. Um, I thought, wow, what young. I'm basically having a bit of a midlife crisis, and I, oh, I mean, I hope it's mid. Could be, could be the end. Um, <laughs> well, actually, driving wise, I've got ages. I've got ages. I'm driving very safely. Basically, I thought, now, what the young cool cats are doing is bringing their laptop on stage with them. <laughs> no one's doing it. And now that I'm trying it, I get why. This is too hard. I, that is a bit of notes. Do you remember notes? Just old paper notes. It would have been much easier. I mean, there is a chance I could try and remember it. Would you like me to hold it for you? No, Deborah. It's too, that's too much um, feminism. No, it's about ageing. I'm ageing. I've had a big birthday. Don't guess. 
you might say 50, and it's 40. Um, I am edging closer and closer then. Not sexy edging. Clo- edging, <laughs> shuffling. Like that. Closer to death, and I can feel it, and I don't want to feel it. Um, what's annoyed me about turning 40? Number of things. Um, one, I... So, I, uh, I've, had un- I've had an unjustified wobble about it. Um, I ha- had a wobble about turning 30. Uh, I got interviewed by someone, and they were like, oh, so what was the wobble about turning 30? And I was like, well, in fairness, at age 29, there were so many things I knew I wanted. And I did, not only didn't have them, I had absolutely no idea how I was ever going to get them. I wanted to love and be loved. I knew I wanted to have a child. Uh, I wanted my career to have so many more things. I wanted to be allowed on the, on the podcast, on the radio, and the television. I didn't know how to make that happen. Um, I wanted to own my own home. You know, there's all these things I wanted. And they were like, oh, and you've had a wobble again at 40 of you and I was like yeah and they were like about those things I was like no I've got those things I think now the wobble is that my face is melting (laughs) and I don't think that's justified is it intellectually I wasn't allowed a wobble I shouldn't be allowed a wobble I think my issue is I remember in my 20s how old 40 sounded and I don't feel that old and I think the issue is I I feel like I have always had a bit of accelerated aging I feel like I've always presented as older than I am I'm confident in telling you I was born as a particularly wrinkly baby Um, By the age of nine, I already loved red wine and blue cheese. Um, I had a waistcoat selection. Um, By the time we were in our teens, I would go to the nightclubs with my friends. That's what they wanted to do, but I spent my entire time there begging individuals one by one to come home and play Scrabble instead. Um, Long story short, I'm thinking about giving my seven-year-old power of attorney now. Um, and as much as I don't feel old, I keep doing old behaviours. Um, or just things coming to me that I just didn't expect to start happening to me yet. Uh, here's an example. I was recently waited, waited to cross a busy road. It's by the South Bank. Do you know when you cross out of Waterloo over to the rivery bit, that really busy bit? Um, and I was waiting there with tens and tens and tens of other people, waiting for the green man, because I'm not a monster. Um, but two men in suits um, crossed anyway, chatting away and um, cars were screeching, audibly screeching um, to a stop for them. That didn't phase them they didn't even let that interrupt their conversation um it certainly didn't speed them up they just continued to cross this sort of bit of dual carriageway and out loud as that was happening i went kill them (laughs) um another sign that i am aging faster than i want to um uh, uh oh the other day i um pulled a muscle in my hip from running one mile um, I've got like family I don't know if you've got this I've got some things that um, members of my family seem to get in their 50s um, uh, and the main one now I know look, families have all got sort of different sort of things some families have a crest don't they some families have a tartan um, some families have like a business heritage don't they like you know what you're getting if you, if you meet a Janet Sainsbury's <laughs> uh, or Sally Cadbury uh, um, my family what is my family's legacy um, well around that age um, we have a thing and I've started to do it early uh we have a thing it's an involuntary thing um (laughs) prepare yourselves it's pretty sexy um when when anybody it's in my mother's line this dna when any of us open a door doesn't matter what gender we are if any any of us when we open the front door to any home (laughs) we go I don't think it suits me. <laughs> and we can't not do it. I can't physically not do it. What if it's someone you want to fancy you back and you've done that? 
At least none of us can ever, ever do any breaking or entering. <laughs> we can certainly never do any burglary. Um, I think one of the reasons I feel frustrated about continuing perpetually to age is that I have only just discovered how much I love PE and I want to do things with my body while it can, before it snaps, if you push it too hard. I, well, I'm really desperate, and I'm, I don't know, I'm going to just tell you about one type of PE because I have been trying to like one of the more trad ones. Um, running. Does anybody love it? No, <laughs> so you look like you're going to puke. Or you give a bit of that. It's, sometimes when you run, does it bring you feelings of joy? The chemical. That's lovely. I'm still waiting for that. <laughs> I get filled with feelings of um, a sort of sense of... Um, it's a mixture of panic and feeling like my body is made of rucksacks. <laughs> um, but I'm going to stick with it because I would like that. And I, don't, I, I only believe you should move your body if it brings you joy. And I think there's probably types of movement for everybody that will bring you different types of joy. It's going to be different for different bodies, etc. Um, but I do want to, I want to be able to run. It feels like a relatively decent life skill. As a feminist and as someone looking at the world as sort of quite obviously on the edge of apocalypse. Um, um, so I did the Couch to 5K. Brilliant. What a clever app. Um, it, if you've ever done it, it is extraordinary. It's just like you pick a celebrity from a treasure chest of national wonders and marvels. There's like runners, but there's also comedians. I've got the brilliant Sarah Millican. Um, yeah, it's like one of my favourite comedians in the universe and all history. And if you've never done a Couch 5K, I recommend her doing it because basically she makes it really funny and lovely. In fact, she's so good at it that when I was doing it, I found myself actually um, hearing her like in my mind's eye sort of spurring me on when I was doing other things that I was deluding myself that I was enjoying. <laughs> but actually they were chores. Do you know what I mean? I'd be washing up for the third time that day. And I'd hear her there going, you're doing amazing. <laughs> you never thought you could wash up for this long, but look at you now. <laughs> you should be so proud of yourself. I'd be doing the 15th load of clothes washing that week and I'd hear her there going, one more load and if you want, you can have a banana. <laughs> I'd be cleaning the toilet, the worst of all jobs, and there she'd be going, for as long as you can, continue to breathe in and out through your nose. Oh, no. I've remembered the wrong one. And in that moment, I realised, actually, I don't think it was running 5K that I was ever particularly interested in. Actually, I think it was probably just compliments from a superior comedian. <laughs> That'll do. Jess Foster Q, everybody! Jess Foster Q, everybody! A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts, they said, What the f are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Hello, Guilty Feminists. This is Deborah with a few quick announcements. We are back at King's Place in London with new live shows. On the 19th of February, we have the host of Academic Imperfectionist podcast, Rebecca Roche, and the hilarious Eleanor Conway with the amazing Sakisa as my co-host. For more information and to book tickets, go to guiltyfeminist.com and click on live shows. I will also be coming to Australia and New Zealand in May. Those tickets will be available very soon, so keep an eye on the website. If you want an ad-free version of the show, you can get that from Patreon, ACAS Plus or Apple. And if you want to help us out, leave your five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. Or just tell someone you know that they should listen to The Guilty Feminist with your face. Or on a WhatsApp group. Who knows? Speaking of which... Back to the podcast. Our guest today is one of Britain's most original comedians. She co-hosts Mel Gideroyk's Unforgivable on Dave, is a previous Taskmaster champion, and has made appearances on a multitude of television shows. This summer she is releasing her memoir, What's That Lady Doing? False Starts and Happy Endings. Please welcome to the stage the incredible Lou Saunders! There she is. Hello, darling. Okay. Um, back there enjoying the show. Oh, Excellent. I've lipsticked all up your cheek, Luli. I'm sorry. Um, Lou, you have written a fantastic memoir. Um, which it we're seems so quite ex- early to write a memoir, doesn't it? But enough's <laughs> <laughs> happened. But so yeah, much has happened. What I loved, as soon as I... I, knew, I read the dedication because I knew that would be funny because everything you do is funny. And it said, uh, this book is dedicated to the only people... I don't want to read this book, my family. And then I started reading the book and I went, oh, yeah, they really can't read it (laughs) at all. Um, It's got some extraordinary things in it. Would you read a little bit of it to us just to sort of set the tone? Yeah, I'll read a little bit. I've never done this. Um, Never read out loud before. (laughs) Um, You've never read out loud? (laughs) Don't you have to when you're a child and stuff, though? I've never been on stage. (laughs) That's... Not true. Consummate no, no, pressure. No, what it is is I've never read a bit of my book out, so I'm actually a bit shy and nervous. Is that okay? Is that cool? No, I'll, tell, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. Gary, Gary will be your emotional support man. Oh, thank Gary. Gary. Gary loves the guilty feminist. Yeah. Do you know Lou? Yes, I know okay. my face. What um, about my body, Gary? <laughs> <laughs> Poor Gary. Poor Gary. Poor Gary. Oh. Poor. Yes, I know your face. Okay. Uh, well, no, okay. Um, that was a lovely expression. That's all. But they didn't see that. So, um, don't be sorry. Why are you sorry? Don't be sorry. No, that's a woman's role. Okay. I don't. I don't even know if this is the best chapter. I just. Um, oh, we haven't. We all here in. for it. It's going to oh, be yeah. great. Okay. Pontins, vodka, and belly rings. When I was about 10, me and my brother went to Pontins with my dad and his girlfriend at the time, Tracy. Tracy had a big perm and used to spritz and scrunch her hair a lot. She wore white stilettos with tall, thin, pointy heels that clicked when she walked. I think she liked the impact that she could just... See, I've never read out loud before. (laughs) Here we go. Gary, don't do that. (laughs) Gary's going like that, making the body of all... Thank you, darling. Okay. Oh, darling. Do we do that to men? Do we do it? Darling's fine because you're in show business. Okay, fine. Darling. It's only fine for people who are from Yorkshire and people who are in show show business. business. Everyone else should. I feel like woman to man, it's okay. It's fine. Like, do you get like a semi if I call you darling? (laughs) (laughs) Gary's so nice. It's almost almost a shame what I'm saying to him. 
Um, he, he clutched his heart. Oh, he's a nice boy. Okay. Right. I think, I think she liked the impact she could make just by walking. Click, clop, click, clop. So people would have to pay attention to her. Her jeans were so tight, we could not fathom how she got them on. They were light denim, and one pair had denim bows all up the back. I'd, <laughs> I'd never seen anything like it, nor had Pontin's Prestatin. Tracy wouldn't let her dad touch or hug us because she got jealous and didn't really see the point of children. Ironically, this was a woman who had over 200 teddy bears, several Disney jumpers and the glasses of an absolute nonce. (laughs) She was probably the same age that I am now. Imagine treating two little, and I'm going to say adorable, kids like they were vermin in the gorgeous setting of Wales' second best pontins. (laughs) Impossible, if you ask me. It must have been quite stressful for my dad trying to balance these two worlds, but then again, it was only once a year. Um, ooh, bit of a bit of a dig at daddy. <laughs> um, I had my first taste of alcohol at Vicky's house when we were 11. Her mum was out, and it was back in the day when 11-year-olds let themselves in. Well, you might have different families. Um... <laughs> I remember being so impressed and envious that Vicky had a whole drawer with crisps and chocolate and biscuits in and she could just have what she wanted. Imagine that for an 11-year-old kid. Take what you want, kids. I could not get my nut around it. I remember telling my mum and heavily hinting what a fantastic idea that was. (laughs) 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 Mum, I've got some ideas, some feedback. Um, Food would send me loco and I couldn't get enough of it. I remember thinking that if I was allowed it all the time, maybe I'd be really chill around it like Vicky was. Or maybe I'd be a 20-stone child, who knows. We were rationed to two biscuits a day, and if we took more, we got in deep trouble. I don't think they counted the biscuit, who's got the time, but um, every now and again we were (laughs) cross-examined. There's some good stuff about the childhood as well. We did get taken to Berlin, so think about that for a minute. (laughs) And as I've just said, Butlins, so... Pogner. No, what was it? Pontins. Yeah, well, guess what? I went to Butlins as well. <laughs> Greedy little bitch. Anyway, the point is, Vicky's mum was relaxed and we thought we would repay her by trying her alcohol. We went for the whiskey and I remember this sensation. It was hot and heavy and it was as disgusting as it was thrilling, but it warmed my throat as it went down and then it warmed my whole body. It was exciting. I felt like it was a portal to another world. I remember thinking, okay, I'll be back for you. Even though it's a thrill, I don't remember sipping alcohol again until the age of 13 when I really bloody went for it. I went to my first nightclub when I was 13. That's absolutely insane that they let me in. I was with some older kids, but they were only 15. (laughs) It was a nightclub on Margate Seafront full of underage kids (laughs) and perverted men. In the club, there were some posters of a beautiful 15-year-old called Tiffany that the bouncers were not allowed to let in. She'd previously been drinking in there and her mum had found out. Her mum then insisted they put posters up of Tiffany's face to say that she was barred because of her age. At that age, I think that's one of the most mortifying things that could happen. I'm not saying I would have preferred to be abducted, but... <laughs> Last I heard, Tiffany was modelling in Norway. Maybe the talent saw the poster. <laughs> And that's it. Thank you. Lou Sanders, everybody. Thanks. So, uh, I want to ask you about a couple of other things in the book. I love your writing style. One thing that I wanted to ask you about in the book was um, there's a really, really good... Um, uh, it's hard to take her seriously when she's looking at her phone, isn't it? 
No, but I'm, I'm, just, I'm just looking at my notes. Oh, wait, I'm just looking at my notes. I was, I was going, oh, this is the wrong page for my notes. Um, <laughs> sorry, let me, let me do it again, but like a professional, so that we can edit that bit out of the podcast. This, this podcast is about, about 10 minutes long, isn't it? <laughs> okay. Um, Lou, in the... St- mm. I'm going to... Lou! Trying to be redress, like Parkinson. You yeah. don't... I mean, Graham Norton, they edit loads out. I'm just like Graham Norton. He probably has a phone as well and he looks on his notes and he goes, oh, yeah. you're Judy Dench. Um, <laughs> says, says on my phone, you're Judy Dench. Um, could you... Judy, there's a bit in your book where in a nightclub... You're Judy Wench because of your show title, Wench. Judy Wench! <laughs> Yeah. It's funny if you know that her sh- show is called Wench. <laughs> Hench as well. Yeah, yeah it works with that one as well. Um, yeah. My favourite story in the book is about you being a drug dealer for a day. Yeah. Can you tell us a bit about that? I was a drug dealer for a day. <laughs> what happened? No, I, what, well, what happened is, so I, I, was, um, I lived on the Holloway Road. I worked in a pub. I lived above the pub. That was dangerous. And I was absolutely pissed. And this guy used to come in the pub. How old were you? 18. And um, in my prime. And this guy, (laughs) this guy used to come in and he wasn't my type and he just got out of prison. And (laughs) he was not for me, so I slept with him. And, you know, back in the day where you did these things. And um, then he said, look, do I have... But the sex was so awful as well and he was really bigging himself up. He was literally... Anyway, why am I telling you this? Um, it was really bad. Like he did, you know, it was really selfish. And uh, he was I like, oh, you like that, don't you? And I good sex at that age. No, I know, because you didn't. And he was a lot older. And I was like, oh, he was like, oh, you like that, didn't you? And I thought, no, it was horrible. <laughs> but I didn't have the confidence to say that because I was young. Anyway, then he said, do you want to deal some drugs? Um, I can't deal them because I've just got out of prison, but you can have them for a real cheap rate. And I thought, well, he sounds like a decent guy. <laughs> oh, Lou. And then I took the cocaine they had given me and I thought, yeah. well, you know, a new career. I wasn't going to deal big. I was just going to, like, get some holiday money. And I was only going to deal if people came to me because I thought it was unethical if I sort of was pushing it on the street and also a bit dangerous. Um, but I was walking down the Holloway Road sort of thinking, God, I guess I'm a dealer now. <laughs> I don't even know how much I had, not a lot. And then I really fancied my boss at the pub and he was another asshole. It was, I had no a real idea type. this would go this way. And I, I fancied him so much. And then after our shifts, we had a drink. I had a pint of water and I went, yeah, yeah. And I was trying to be sexy. I was like, yeah, yeah. And I drank this pint of water. <laughs> Not one bit reached my mouth. <laughs> I just tipped it all over me. And I was like, oh. <laughs> and then um, I said, I've got some Coke, because he liked doing Coke. And um, the way to a man's stomach, <laughs> sometimes cocaine. And um, yeah, it turns out it wasn't cocaine what he gave me. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, so that was my drug dealing career. I just sort of wasted it, hundreds it of pounds. It wasn't cocaine. What no, was it? bleak, I, isn't it? But the I, hope it was icing sugar. <laughs> I hope it was icing sugar and not heroin. No, no, I think it was, it was just, it was nothing. Nice. Yeah, it's just nothing. Oh. Yeah. Thank God. So you were not a drug dealer. No, and I think actually morally that's probably better. At the time, I was obviously really embarrassed with the yeah. Watergate and the fake drugs. But um, <laughs> but actually now I'm quite pleased that I've never been a drug dealer. Yes. So well, well, oh, actually, actually, yeah. well done me. Yeah. <laughs> um, well on me, actually. Thank you. you very much. Oh God, I feel like I've got myself in similar situations. At that Have you? Age. Yeah, I remember. Um, 
well, one, I remember there's just so much shit sex with shit men. Yeah. But I remember one guy really bragging. He was like, he was Welsh and he was like, I'm actually amazing at going down on women. And, um, <laughs> and I'm like, wow. Woohoo! <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Surely he's telling the truth. <laughs> um, <laughs> But I was such... I was drinking so much. Uh, and um, he did get down on me and I fell asleep. Oh, I don't think we can lay livid. all the blame at his door. <laughs> no, but he was furious. And I, I think my mind's eye was like, come on, ready for a great... Oh, oh no. <laughs> it can't have been yeah. that splendid. No. Um, no. But also I remember working in a pub around that age as well and I remember there being like an older boss and there being loads of coke and that was my first tries of all of those things and it was also, and I fancied the boss and I stayed up really late. I didn't tip my drink all down my face but I did snog him for so many hours that I then had like a burn rash all over my face. Oh. But there was no pretending what it, it was so obvious that it was from the particularly stubbly old man that ran the fucking pub. Oh, no. And it took like 10 days to no. heal. You had yeah. hash rash for 10 hash days. Hash rash for 10 days. Oh, All God. over my 19-year-old face. Well, this it goes is... quicker than chlamydia, though, on the upside. Yeah, so that does go quicker than that. This yeah. is this great. Is, anyway. This is why we're talking about self-forgiveness, because I think we've all got things in our past that, uh, that we just feel like, how could I have done that? And who was I then? And what was I thinking that we would never do now? Mm. But I think when we suppress them, when we suppress guilt, it becomes shame, and shame carried in the body is luggage. And it actually weighs you down. And it's really just good to kind of get it out. You know, like... Maybe that's why running feels so hard. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. you're yeah. weighed down by the shame. I, I, I think... I've yeah. shame. I, and I think, I mean, women are made to feel guiltier for this kind of misdemeanor than men. When men have a story like that, it's like, lads, lads, lads. It was so funny because I was a dealer for a day. When a woman tells that story, I mean, you tell everything was great comedy and you have a sort of escape clause of a sort of loose Sanders escape clause of being so whimsical with the way that you tell the story that you somehow uh distance myself distance, <laughs> yeah a little bit whereas i think a lot of times uh uh when men tell stories it's like Oy! and when women tell stories it's like oh you did that and so i quite like that you're telling stories, that you're being so honest. Was it difficult to be so honest? I think the big difference is, though, is time. Like, I'm not that person anymore. So I think mm. then it is quite cathartic to lay all mm. the disgusting things you've done into a book. There's things I won't tell. <laughs> I would recommend it. There's, There's things, things won't I won't tell. tell that I did when I was younger. Just, really, I just yeah. don't, I just still, That's I think That's very I'm, classy, Debs. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I, you're not exploiting it for money. <laughs> no. <laughs> I think it's not that. I think someone someone told a story in the rehearsal room the other day about something that happened when they were a small child. And it was such a simple, sweet, innocent thing that happened. But a similar thing happened to me and I didn't share it because I sort of still think I oh am four-year-old me. Do you know it, what I mean? Did you get off with your brother as well? No. I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking. It, it was no. my cousin. Um, <laughs> No, no, but, um, no. I don't think there should be shame. I think if everyone was honest in society, I genuinely do that, and it is really embarrassing to be honest. But if you've like, I don't think you should just do shameful things and then be like, ah, that was a bit of a laugh because I don't think that's genuine. And definitely, when I was drinking, I passed things off as a laugh that deep inside did hurt me because I thought I shouldn't be doing this, and I knew I had a problem. Mm. So that's a different kind of thing. Yeah. But then if you have processed it. And I would, you know, you know me, I love to heal things. If you've done all that, then you've moved, you've moved away from it because you don't feel like that's who you are. Then I think you can, um, it's easier to share it in a way that's more genuine. Yeah. yeah. 
Is it, do you think sharing stories is a way, is a step forward to self-forgiveness or does it depend on the response you get? It shouldn't. It shouldn't depend. It should be how you, you can just it write yourself. it down, can't you? Mm. Yeah, burn it. I think, well, you haven't burnt it. You've put it into a book, Lou. I also... I'll burn the book if you want. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's eighteen ninety nine to burn that unless you get it from Amazon. It's fourteen ninety nine. I did actually burn. I did actually burn the script of it and did offer you? it up to the um, University of Manchester. <laughs> did you? Did I did. Yeah. yeah, and I added to the smog of London, and I felt really bad um, pollution wise. Mm. <laughs> and the neighbour also asked what I was doing, and I also nearly set my balcony on fire. But it's worth it to give it to the gods. <laughs> well, you're going. That's material for the second book, I think. I nearly burnt my neighbour's house down. Like it's material for the second book. Um, I'm doing it for the universe, Hilary, so shush. Um, I, sh- I shared something today that I thought was really profound. Um, that- Is it from my book? <laughs> no. no um, it's from the Instagram. It's, it, it, shh, don't say it's from Instagram. <laughs> Sorry. But it is. But I was really like, I sent it to one of my best friends and I went, oh God, I hate how much this is true and I really oh. hate it and I'd never thought it before. Um, it said, shh, don't, don't say it's for Instagram. Sorry, James, I'm so sorry. Well, Deepak Chopra is on Instagram, so it no, can be no, no. Some, some things on Instagram are good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> see, now I feel ashamed. Oh, no, you're so sorry. You must no, you must that's not you. It's oh. me. It's my own head. That's not you. It feels perfectly fine to say it's for Instagram. It's absolutely fine. This is it, though. When you hear it, <laughs> you're going to think it's as profound as I do. A person's ability to grow is directly related to the amount of truth they can accept about themselves. Oh, is that true and awful? I hate how true that is. I fucking hate how true that is. Because every way in which I have not grown is something I know I'm not looking at. And all the ways in which I have managed to grow, and I have managed to grow in the last, I would say, five years more than I've ever grown in my life, Mm. is things I will look in the face. Mm. And then I can kind of... Either get past them or go, that's who I am. Sometimes it's just going, that's who you are. And you can change it a bit, but it is who you are. And just being at home with that, just going, I'm making peace with that part of me because it's not that important, but I'm never going to be that. I may never have the perfect bra draw. Mm -hmm. And in that one, I am going to, but that's a different example. (laughs) Well, you can pay a fairy to come and do it. Well, it's just a two-hour... I've just all paid for two hours, but it was a present. So, you know, the fairy's going to leave. Wow, two hours is plenty. How many bras you got? <laughs> She's doing every... You know. But other ways I've grown because I've looked at it and I've addressed it and I've, you know, done psychedelics and then got past <laughs> it. But, but I am growing past some of the stuff, but there are still a few pockets that I reckon I'm not looking at, even there's when always, I talk to Mother Earth. There's always, always going to be do. pockets. And also your... your we're all having new experiences all the time. Oh, like, yeah. Like no, static. No. So of course. you can resolve all your traumas, but good luck not making any new ones. <laughs> In the meantime. That's so true. To, it does give you armour if you have, like, learned to process things and face things. Definitely. It gives you a That's resilience going for. forward. It is. Yeah. That's it's what we Experience things. It's, um, but That's, it's, Yeah. When you share all of this stuff in the book, though, Lou, I'm so fascinated by how you write. And you were mm. so open and so... But you're, like, I would say it's vulnerable, but actually you have a fluid way of talking about it that's so funny that it's sort of, uh, is there vulnerability when you write this stuff and share it and put it out in print? Is there? Does that feel I that feel way? sick. Do you? Yeah, I feel sick because it's coming out on Thursday and I feel very sick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mostly what my family will think. 
And I've tried to be forgiving and loving and see things from everyone's angle. Because my stepdad hated me when I was a kid. And then we grew to love each other. So that's a nice story about like forgiveness and love and redemption. But I could put what I want about him because he's dead. (laughs) (laughs) That does help. But we did love each other. So we did love each other so much. And um, but we but he hated me when I was a kid and he fucked me. He like you know what? No, he didn't fuck me. No, no, no. He fucked my life. Fucked me up. Yeah, I hadn't finished that. The word up is a conclusion. The word up is incredibly important. Imagine if if that was exclusive. Yes, my stepdad fucked me. Uh, God no. no. This book is is stuff. You tell a drink driving story. Can you tell us yes. a little bit about that? Uh, yeah. So I, uh, by the way, I don't think drink driving is cool. Never done it since. Um, obviously, like it's a heinous thing to do. But I was seventeen and obviously drunk. So, um, but I thought I was. It was like the slowest police chase ever. <laughs> because I thought I'm gonna I'm gonna fox the police. <laughs> One idiot drink driving, but like also they knew me. They knew my car. Like so, it's a really stupid thing to do. But um, so they were behind me, and I thought. I'm going to trick him. So what I did is I indicated left. Yeah. But I turned right. Oh. Five miles an hour. <laughs> they, were on, they were on to me. And uh, they, put, they said, you know, get out of the car. And I was like, shit. And then my friend who was with me was like, she's a bit ditzy. And she was like... Um, Oh, you just got to like suck on loads of coppers, not not the policemen. The uh, like two pe- two That's really two pecoys. Well, she said two pecoys would like, but I was like, well, I don't have a bag of change, and he's there, so I just downed this. I had lemongrass aromatherapy oil in the dashboard, so I just like downed that. I know not the whole bottle, but like enough to like disguise my breath so stupid and then he but he was like Alan Partridge so he's a sort of I think he's I can't remember but I think he's like putting notes into a dictaphone and he's going on arresting she proceeded to drink half a bottle of lemongrass therapy oh, no. why <laughs> and then um <laughs> Were you sick? They, no. And then they... <laughs> and then, <laughs> then they took me to Margate Police Station. We took his car in the end. And um, You took his car? No, a police car. They didn't let me drive there. And uh, I was oh, like, come so. on, son, get in. But, um, <laughs> but no. Hop in, I'll drive. <laughs> I'll drive you. See, I'm slow. No, and then um, when we got to the police station, it was unbelievable. There's all these police people, like, standing around me, right? And I was, like, I was sort of thinking... It doesn't need like 12. Imagine that. that with taxes have really gone down. It doesn't need 12 of you to like stand over me. And they were all going, you could have killed someone tonight, which is absolutely fair enough, actually. But I didn't like the mentality of them all like sort of, you know, on top of me. And so I started really playing up. And um, they said, <laughs> they said, I was really being like cheeky. And uh, I was going, yeah, I know you, I know, I know you'll fancy me, but the uniform doesn't do it for me. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, and I was going, yeah, it doesn't need all of you, but I know I'm fit. And they were going, there's cameras there taking what you say, so it will be read out in court. And I was like, bring out the DVD, baby. <laughs> <laughs> and then they said, and they, they walked me over to the desk and they said, do you want a lawyer? And I said, I want the best in town, baby. <laughs> and they said, you're on benefits, aren't you? <laughs> I was like, yeah. <laughs> And then they put me in a cell and they didn't give me... I was in a little vest and they didn't give me a blanket because they thought I was such an arsehole. And I thought, yeah, fair enough, you've won. Um, So, yeah, then I got a fine. And I think it's absolutely fair enough, actually. Well done, the police there. Um, (laughs) Can I tell you my drink drive drinking Mm. story? And this is not... Again, I don't think drink driving is cool, but, like, at all, I think it's absolutely a terrible thing to do, just Mm. to say this is not a sort of, like, story, but it's more like, again... 
if a man tells a story, it's one sort of thing. And if a woman tells a story, it's like, oh, we're really shocked. So I'm going to try and tell something that I'm ashamed of that I've never told before. Mm. And I've told a lot of things in this podcast because I've done it for a long time now. So I'll tell you a story. It's true. Um, when I was a Jehovah's Witness, I was living in Connecticut and at one point as a nanny. And one of the headquarters was in upstate New York at a place called Patterson. And the headquarters of the Bethel, it's called... The missionary school's there and it's called Gilead. No fucking Fuck kidding. Off. Yeah. So, um, what's Gilead? Gilead's like in, um, in, in Handmaid's, Handmaid's Tale. Tale. It's a oh, terrible yeah. place. So, um, everyone wants an invitation to Bethel because it's full of single men. And yeah, it's an awful thing. But I'd met some nice guys who were like, we're going to Bethel. You should come to Bethel with us. They're having a barbecue. And it's the Patterson Bethel. And I had like a little nanny car that I was allowed to drive, but it was a manual. And I can't really drive, I can now, but at that point I couldn't really drive a manual because in my state in Australia, you could get an automatic or a manual license. I got an automatic, then I moved states and there was only one sort of license. So I had a manual license despite the fact I'd never driven a manual car. So I just had pootled around a bit on my own, stalling away. And I thought, I really want to go. So I took this car that I couldn't really drive and drove to another state. You know, and I was so slow on the motorway. So your story about like, you know, stopping, I was yeah. so, I was really in the slow lane and I was the slowest thing in the slow lane. Anyway, I get there and when I get there, it's like the afternoon and I'm not driving back till night and I get there and they said, we're making margaritas and we're having a, you, the one thing you can do as a Jehovah's Witness is drink, not to excess, you can't get drunk, but you can have a drink. And they're like, we're doing a margarita making competition to see if salt or no salt is better. Would you like one? Now, as an inexperienced young Jehovah's Witness ingenue non-drinker, really, I said yes because I wanted to be cool and fun. And I tasted all the boys' margaritas, no innuendo intended, and got... I just didn't know... You know, I, I didn't know how drunk you could get on that. And then a man was there who... A brother who said, oh, I've brought this special... He hadn't seen him for ages, and he said, I've brought a special bottle of wine just to drink with you. Oh, so I drank God. loads of margaritas, then a special bottle of wine just to drink with you. I thought I'd be fine by the time I drove back because that was like, you know, in the afternoon. By, and it was midnight, I was driving back. I was so drunk and I should not have driven back. But it is not, it's illegal for a girl to stay at Patterson. You can't stay at Bethel God. because you could have sex with someone. So there's no girls allowed. It's like get off the premises. Get so in the car. It, so... <laughs> So they just were like, bye now. And there was no way I could say, I would get them in serious trouble if I said, could I crash in your room? They, would get, they could get disfellowship. We could all get disfellowship, which is shunning forever. And like now that seems actually appealing from the Jehovah's Witnesses to be yeah, shunned forever. Great way out. But at the time, I just did, anyway. So I just had to get in the car. And you, what you can't say is I'm too drunk to get in the car because you're not allowed to be drunk either. So it's real oh, rock, hard, rock hard place yeah. stuff. So it's like either I'm too drunk to leave so I have to stay with boys and that's, they'll get in trouble as well. Or I just get in the car and hope for the best. And I drove so alertly. I was so frightened because I knew I should not be driving. Mm. And I drove like this <laughs> to another state. I drove like, it took me hours because I was just like, oh, please don't get pulled up. Please don't, please don't kill anyone. Please don't get pulled up. Please don't. That is the last time I ever had a drink before driving. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah. I was very ashamed of that for a long time. But now I look back on myself and I think, you were very young. Mm. And you were way out of that situation. You've driven on mushrooms loads, haven't you? (laughs) (laughs) 
I have just for the record never driven on psychedelics of any sort or marijuana. I've never driven in taxi. I've never even had one glass of wine since because that scared me so much. I wouldn't even have one drink and drive since then. I'm just like, no, if I'm driving, I'm not drinking. But it was very, very scary. But I look back on that person, I'm like, you were such a different person. It sounds like you were a better driver when you were drunk, though, judging by the latitude story. (laughs) 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 Although I do think, obviously, don't drink. That is actually true. That is actually true. Yeah, I definitely did a bit of... I'd work late in a pub, that same pub, actually, when I was 19, Mm. and down the country, and we'd, we'd work until midnight, and then you'd stay there. Just carry on drinking till three, four in the morning, and then I would drive home. Oh, oh my god, really? Jessica, yeah. Jessica, and that Jessica. Was a, it was like that's five, absolutely disgusting. <laughs> it was a five-minute drive. Hey, but imagine we all just turn on you. Listen, this in terms of the culture where I grew up, everybody, everybody drank did drove it, then. Yeah. and I don't mean that makes it okay. No, but when you, I was a kid, yeah. here's the main story, and I think this is worse, although it wasn't me doing it. This is this has got more shocking. As time has gone on, I remember telling this story in my twenties, and people found it funny. But nah. um, <laughs> but here we go. Um, when I was a kid, I used to go to a pub with my dad, and he would get battered, and I would play on my own in the family room and taught myself to play pool. <laughs> really cool, up cool. Um, And he would drive us home, and it was my favourite because we'd play a really fun game <laughs> that I would encourage him to play, where he would drive as fast as he could at a stationary car and swerve away at the last minute. <laughs> Oh my god. Jess. I was like a kid in the car going, Woo-hoo-hoo! Oh my god, I feel so alive! I loved it. it was, I loved it. it. We did it just, ev- we did it every weekend. We are all and then my cousins were down and they came in the car and I was like, you're gonna have so much fun on the way home. <laughs> we took that drive home. We got in the car on the way home, I was like, Woo-hoo-hoo! and my way more straight-laced, normal, healthy, yeah. happy parented yeah. cousins were like, ah! <laughs> they got home and they told their parents and they were never allowed in a car with my dad again, ever. <laughs> and my dad's not dead and I've told that story. <laughs> Can I just say... Uh, Love that. That was a very different time and we are all lucky to be alive. Yeah. And so if you're listening to this and you're a young person, we are all lucky to be alive. Yeah. Because I we did that, all of us. I we, got pulled over. Many people did these things and are dead or killed somebody. Yeah, yeah. I, I got or pulled over by the police for shaking a cake tin out the window when I was driving on the motorway. <laughs> 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 Why did you shake it in? What, getting the crumbs Shaking out? out the window, yeah, when I was driving on the motorway. <laughs> I can see it that. It was a different it's a time. It's a it motorway. was a different time as last but week. But the point, the, the point is that I think I do feel better for sharing some of this because yeah. I, I just I feel, feel like... I about it. I know. Oh, I feel funny. these are terrible things that we did, but there's something about self-forgiveness coming from mm. saying... I don't think it's sort of the whole point of the Girls Feminist really is we say I'm a feminist, but and other people laugh and then we go, okay, sometimes we all do these things. But there are some things that you should learn not to do yeah. and you yeah. must learn not to do if you're going to survive and if you're not going to hurt anyone else. And sometimes sharing in a circle, which is this is a bit of therapy really, it's sort of... And actually reading your book is kind of therapy because mm. I think a lot of people are going to relate to a lot of the stuff in it but mm. wouldn't dare share it. I think there are things that if you have never shared them with anyone... You do hold them as I am I am the lone terrible person. And when you share them and then other people go, I've also done that and it was also mm-hmm. inadvisable or even terrible. But I I never did it again because I learned from that. Mm. And so the learning, I think, the learning I got from accidentally driving back from Bethel from Gilead drunk, um, is is 
probably better than me having one drink, then maybe two and driving and maybe it was okay, maybe it wasn't. Because that cured me of ever doing anything so stupid again. Mm. And instead of me subtly going, oh, well, wait, did I have two and a half? That's probably okay. Mm. I just had a no policy. So sometimes yeah. they're your biggest learnings. Yeah. And I think that book is all about your biggest learnings and your, mm. your vulnerabilities and your fears. And I don't think you should feel sick because I think a lot of people are going to feel better because they're going to spend that time in silent therapy with you where they wouldn't share it with anyone else, but they will in their head share it with you. So I think you've probably done a great thing by writing it. Thank you. Let's not market it as silent therapy. <laughs> Thank you. No, I think it's, I think it's good. Um, it's very funny, of course, because it's Lou. Um, what's that lady doing out this Thursday? Uh, and where can they buy it? All good bookshops somewhere where... Everywhere, yeah. yeah. Everywhere. Yeah, everywhere book-related. I mean, don't go into, you know. <laughs> buy it where you buy your books. Yeah. Um, Lou Sanders I think you'll really enjoy it it's very funny but also there are some genuinely terrifying shocking things in there and there are some trigger warning type subjects but I but just... in a fun way <laughs> okay uh, alright um, uh, Jess Foster Q do you have anything to plug I would love people to listen to my podcast the Hoovering podcast I don't know when this is coming out but I have this autumn we'll have a tour for next spring going on sale for my new show Metal um, uh, we've just been looking at the I pictures. I would love people Fantastic to come and see that pictures. spring 2024. Um, um, but I, yeah. And um, Lou, anything else we should watch or look at or go to because of you? Just buy the book. <laughs> just buy the book. Just buy the book. It's been a really wonderful show. Can I have a huge round of applause for the incredible Lou Sanders? <laughs> the wonderful Jessica Foster Q. And everybody at Soho Theatre. Your good selves. And of course, Gary. You have been listening to The Guilty Feminist with me, number one, despite guest co-host Jessica Mustard, and our very special guest, Lou Sanders. The recording engineer was Brandon Lissimbra. Music was by Mark Hodge. The producer was Tom Selinsky for the Spontaneity Shop. Thanks to Rachel Croft, Regina Dicio, Zainab Mohammed, and everyone at Soho Theatre, as well as all of you for listening. For more information about this and other episodes, visit guiltyfeminist.com. in the first minutes We're not allowed of the show. to talk about that. Sorry, no, we're not. Okay. But I love the idea... Tom said it'll upstage the, the show. I love the idea that we've presented him as a male heckler. Like, you'd have to preface, I'm afraid it's a woman footballer. <laughs> <laughs> Just to let you know, it wasn't going to be the strongest heckling. It was a male heckler. <laughs> <laughs> he did his best, but it was just, it was a male heckler, so. He's still, he's, they, they just, you can't get them. You want a good male heckler and. You can't, you no, can't they just get the staff. I go and book them because you can't find them. They're enough doing it. Yeah. I don't know about you. They just aren't enough doing it. Um, we've you got can't a... get two male hecklers on the same night or they might both talk about dicks. <laughs> <laughs> this one did. Yeah, now, it did. It did. Um, all right, I'm going to do the opening titles, so I'm going to say... The Guilty Feminist is provided exclusively from Acast. Find it wherever you get your podcasts.